1: We are still waiting uh, for an addition to the Blue Jays team here as a country. And no word yet, no word. A lot of people with Otani hangovers, and they deserve them, and I hope they enjoyed themselves. Uh, We are going to get some more information. It's a big week for the media and things that play out in the media. Michael Geist is joining us, Canada Research Chair in Internet and E-Commerce Law at the University of Ottawa. Michael, happy Saturday to you.
0: Oh, uh, hi. Thanks for having me. Actually, I I think I just saw that Otani may have uh, posted on his Instagram that he's signing with the Dodgers.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, the hope for healing and joy. Thank you. I bet you didn't know you would be bringing that to us, but thank you, Michael. I've been checking and all the all the breaks there, so I missed it. All right, so we have no hope. Let's find our own joy here, Michael. Let's start with the medium, Bill C. Eleven. You've been just laser focused on this and appeared before the CRTC, and I thought it was fascinating as following the hearing and and seeing some of the clips of it and our and I. I think finally the story may be resonating with Canadians. They're making their own choices. They're saying, I want to do this, that, and the other. And this bill is, is attempting to put some lay down the law in all of those things. What did you think about the hearings on the CRTC? Yeah, I mean, it was CRT. an interesting experience. Did it's they accomplish like what the you thought? Sorry? Did they accomplish what you thought? Yeah, I'm
0: having a bit of trouble hearing you, but um, it was my first time appearing before the commission, and I have to say that, you know, this felt a lot like just a race for a cash grab with the desire to various entities looking for internet streamers to provide them with funding. And I, one of my real concerns was that the concerns of individuals, of, of Canadians, of the, of the viewing public seem often to be lost in the conversation.
1: And how and how would you bring them to the conversations here? Because some of the things that I, I watched, and I know this is part of your message as well, is what do people want? <laughs> what do consumers want? Are people just entitled to continue to do the same things? What's at stake here, Michael, when you say it should be more about the consumers?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there's two elements here. There's the issue of the prospect of the CRTC engaging in regulating user content. And they've largely tried to take that off the table, at least for now. So, listen, the government says that's not really what they were interested mm-hmm. in. There's a policy direction to that effect. And I guess we'll have to see how this plays out. Some of those bigger questions around, for example, regulating algorithms and discoverability are yet to come. At the moment, this particular hearing was focused Almost exclusively on the on the issue of some interim payments, what what streamers would have to pay into the system. The idea being that even before they sort out all these other issues, move ahead with forcing them to pay certain things. And you know, the the perspective I brought when I appeared before the commission was: that, listen, I listen. I recognize that that there are many who would like to see some of those payments, but this is not risk free. That if you require payments that are significant indeed ones that are in excess of what you find in many other places there was a risk of market exit with some streamers leaving the country um a risk of some deciding not to enter canada at all not providing services given some of those extra costs or that at the end of the day it would be consumers that would face increased costs and that it was important for the crtc to consider those factors as it as it progresses
1: it is. And we heard from a lot of people in the media. And then, you know, also there was a, a little bit of a peek on how this new media could work. I thought it it looked like that there was a, a kind of an explanation of a, a new scenario that would be happening here. And we're also talking, as you just said, about you know, bias in the media and paying the media and all, all those things. And plus, we started off the week, Michael, with all those layoffs at the CBC, all these things kind of coming together and adding extra meaning, I think, a little bit at those hearings.
0: Yeah, I, there was a little bit. There was some on those media issues. It's true, uh, in part because some of those same media companies are hoping to get the, the CRTC to also require payments uh, in support of mm-hmm. the news. Not the print in this case, but this would be support for the broadcasters, who, it should be noted, already stand to be one of the big beneficiaries coming out of Bill C-18, the legislation that deals with news. They'd, they'd, in a sense, almost like to double dip here and get some money coming out of Bill C-11, uh, hoping that. You know, essentially companies like Netflix and Amazon would provide new funding for in support of the news on services like Bell and the idea that you'd have a video service, entertainment service like Netflix having to pay to support large wireless company because it's engaged in some of the news production, at least for me, struck me as pretty disconnected in that uh, this kind of cross subsidy model isn't really the best way to deal with these kinds of issues.
1: It is. You know, we're we're looking at everything in kind of a, a new way. And the hearings, I thought they, you know, they did hear from a wide selection of Canadians. You kind of think that consumers should be more part of it. How would you make consumers more part of all of this?
0: Well, I think, that the, I, I think there's a couple of elements there. One, I, I think the CRTC itself has to make sure that it is hearing from a broader range of, of consumer interests. And, you know, I spoke to it. There were a few other witnesses that did, but for the most part, it was very much a minority perspective. And some, I have to say, some of the CRTC commissioners came across almost as if, as if they were surprised that this should be an issue that they should be focused on. You had uh, the Vice Chair of Broadcasting, say that the CRTC operates in the public interest, which she defined as ensuring support for creators and artists. And she was reminded by the witness that, actually, what about the viewers here in terms of the public interest? And it, it was almost as if that caught her by surprise. So I think part of this is that you know, we need to see the CRTC, the commissioners involved in these decisions to view at least a a part of their mandate as ultimately operating on behalf of individual Canadians. You know, the point I made actually was that if you don't have viewers, if Canadians aren't there, you don't have a broadcasting system. I think it has to start with the public. And it was, from my perspective, a bit discouraging to hear that 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 wasn't necessarily the view that's shared by some in decision-making positions.
1: It is. It's been, you know, I've been in this business uh, quite a long time, and the CRTC has always been such a factor. And, and radio stations have always struggled for them, these legacy radio stations, because we had to play music that was CanCon. We had to have Canadian content. And I think you're right. I mean, the whole, the whole reason that the CRTC is there is also kind of changing and maybe coming into a new light, don't you think?
0: Well, I think it does play, uh, obviously, an expanded role. I mean, the, the outcome of C-11 and C-18, the Online Streaming Act and the Online News Act, is that the CRTC is, is now positioned to address far more. It's now not just about conventional broadcast and broadcast distributors like cable and satellite companies, but now also plays a pretty big role with the internet. And, you know, I think that that represents... It's very significant change. I, in fact, you know, interestingly, it's interesting you raise this. During mm-hmm. one of the exchanges I had with the commissioner, they said, you know, some of the things you are saying would would be a departure from how, we's all, how we've always done it. And I think my response was something along the lines of I thought, I thought we're already at the departure gate. I, I thought that we're already at a space where the commission is rethinking a lot of the ways that it has traditionally done things because its mandate has changed so much. Um, and I, w- I would be very concerned if, you know, the only kinds of changes we saw was, was essentially an attempt to to bring the internet into this sort of payment type system that it becomes mm-hmm. just about the subsidies as opposed to rethinking many of the more core elements of, of what broadcasting means in the way that the legislation has has kind of pushed us toward.
1: And we got, you know, we're about to take a break, but the CBC and the the firings and all the reality biting at the CBC on Monday, that was kind of an explosion of exactly what you just said. I mean, it's changed and you can say it's not right or we're going to squish it over here, or add payment or whatever. The fact of the matter is, it's all changed.
0: It is changing. And I think... I think what we what we ought to be looking for as, as we talk about sort of coming out of this first set of hearings is just how much is the CRTC open, open to change? You know, are they do they look at this as just a new source of funding, almost like a policy ATM where they can do new withdrawals in support of some of their longstanding uh, areas that they'd like to support their policy objectives? Or are we going to see more of a fundamental rethink about you know, how we support, about what the priorities are, about who gets the support. You know, and that, that will involve a lot of conversations about what CanCon means, about who benefits, about what it means to provide support beyond just cutting a check. Um, it remains to be seen whether the CRTC is really open to that, having those conversations.
1: Michael, I wanted to touch base with you on, because I know you've been up front and center watching this on uh, disturbing things we're seeing and reporting and talk about the media and institutions. We're seeing a lot of anti-Semitism. We're seeing it at institutions like Harvard in the United States. We've seen the menorah lighting coming into politics this week all across the country. It is quite a sight to see.
0: It is. And just quickly on Otani, $700 million over two years. left. <laughs> um, unbelievable. Um, we <laughs> my, almost my, made my, it, though. My, yeah, my the Blue Jays, my Jays had my almost... Roger's bills are high enough <laughs> without having to <laughs> pay almost a billion dollars. for one In any event... Yeah, on, wait a moment. On, you know, on, on this issue, uh, which is clearly a much more serious and source of concern, it, I, I must admit I'm, I'm, I'm the grandson of Holocaust survivors, never in a million years. But I envision that we would see what we've been seeing in Canada and, uh, of course, in other countries. The the hearings that we saw in the United States this week with U.S. presidents unable to unequivocally state that uh, calls for Jewish genocide would, would constitute a violation of, of codes within those schools. And as you note, the, the the politicization of of menorah lighting, whether that's the Calgary mayor refusing to... Uh, to appear, the controversy in Moncton that we saw, and even now reports in the University of Alberta's law school where um, when a student raised the question whether a menorah might be displayed, the decision was taken to remove Everything. They removed Christmas trees and said no to the menorah also. And um, these are are dark times when when you see that take place. And I never, as I say, never thought I'd see this in Canada. And there's a desperate need for Canadians to speak out strongly against the kind of anti-Semitism that we are now seeing uh, in communities across the country.
1: What about, you know, I raised um, the intersection of leadership with this. I mean, is this a test that we've never really had before? And it's a darn good one.
0: It is. I think you're right. You know, there was, I think, in some of the when there were initial concerns, and certainly those coming out of the Jewish community, you know, are in some sense almost on guard given the, the long history of anti Semitism and could see some of this starting to emerge, I think, quite quickly. Uh, but it has only grown. And some of the initial responses that I thought we saw from some leaders, which was to really almost two sides it to talk about not just anti Semitism but other forms of hate, and to be clear, all forms of hate, whether it's anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, Islamophobia or other forms of hate, uh, need to be uh, strongly condemned, and we need to stand up against it all. But we need to recognize as well, I think, especially with what we've seen, that it is anti-Semitism that has been the direct target, overwhelmingly over the last number of weeks with shots at schools and firebombs targeted towards community centres. This is, and, and you know, political leaders initially saying this isn't Canada. It is Canada. It is what we are experiencing. There is genuine fear around these issues and we desperately need leaders to stand up we need law enforcement to take action where there are violations and we need to have communities stand strongly on on these issues and there as i think to date have uh, been in many times too much silence and that silence is, is deafening and i think it's been a wake up call for many who are discouraged that that's in fact been the case if you want to hear more